passage, as has been read for you, continues the theme that we've been looking at through the book of Hebrews, and that is the theme of considering Jesus. And this morning, he builds on that, which we looked at the first portion of verse 1 last week, consider Jesus. He builds on that with consider Jesus according to his faithfulness. So it couldn't have worked out better calendar-wise to be approaching a text such as this as we have kind of made our theme of our gathering this morning in worship centered on thankfulness for the faithfulness of God. Considering the reliability of Christ, I think, just to be quite frank with you this morning, considering uh, the Jewish family, um, who is a part of our ministry, who we care for and love as they're going through a difficult time, yet a joyous occasion, a complex time, as they are excited for the birth of Adam, and how important it is that we lift them in prayer, we bear up their burden and join with them in caring for them, as we would, how would we do so? How would we consider praying for brothers and sisters as they go through difficulty? How would, where, where do we go? How has the church, during a time of difficulty and ordeal, found encouragement, peace, and rest? But by considering the faithfulness of Jesus. It always has been and always is for the church to continue to meditate upon the faithfulness of Jesus as a rich resource of help. As we see at the end of chapter 2, he is able to help and a rich source of encouragement. Early Puritan prayer, I wanted to read for you this early Puritan prayer entitled God and Joy as it describes as we look upon the history of the church as we consider our lives a part of that history of the joy of dwelling upon the faithfulness of Jesus. O God, attend to me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, the same defense, the same comfort that I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around me. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on the earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his grace. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness towards me. Whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing of faithfulness attend to me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. I have been fearful, but thou hast delivered me. I have been in despair. But thou hast lifted me up. Thy covenant vows are ever upon me. And I praise thee, O my God. A reflection upon an arduous and trying pilgrimage for each of us. Some points better than others. But always present 
and lows, ebbs and flows, that rhymes, I didn't plan that. <laughs> the faithfulness of God through Jesus, ever-present, always attending. So through our text this morning, I want to consider that delivering power, that lifting power as the prayer says, Thou hast lifted me up and is ever present with me. It's described for us through our text this morning in terms of him, that is Jesus, as we consider him faithful. Faithful as the messenger of God. I want to show you how significant that is, the faithfulness of Jesus as the messenger of God. That's what our text is going to point to us this morning. Look at it with me, if you will. I'll just briefly read the text yet again as we gear ourselves up to consider the faithfulness of Jesus as the messenger of God. Verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, that is, to the church, as we described last week, those uh, who have been delivered by the power of Christ through His work on the cross. That is, verse 1, the holy children, the brothers, you who share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus, that is our life directive. Look to Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. As we consider Jesus as the faithful messenger of God, you see it here in verse 1. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. The way in which Jesus serves as the faithful messenger of God, in other words, has two different but coordinating directions. This is significant for you this morning. It has been significant to the church through trial and ordeal. It is significant every single day. At this very moment, it will be significant after we have gathered this morning and we leave. That he is a faithful messenger, not just in a one-way dynamic, but in two ways. Opposite, that is different, but coordinated. That is the first way in which he is a faithful messenger of God. That is, he is faithful to him who appointed him. He is faithful as an apostle. Do you see that? The designation of Jesus in verse 1. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now notice how he is an apostle and high priest. He is, verse 2, faithful to him who appointed him. Now, perhaps you are not familiar with considering Jesus as the apostle of your faith. And it is kind of a unique usage here of Jesus being an apostle or the Apostle of our faith. But if you think about it in generic terms in the New Testament, as you are familiar with the language of an apostle, that is simply in its broadest term where you see in the New Testament the use of the term apostle, it simply means someone who is sent. Typically it is an individual throughout redemptive history, that is uh, in the New Testament as we see the use of the apostleship. But consider the Old Covenant as well, where there is a servant of God who is sent from among men unto other men. That is the mark of an apostle. But here, Jesus is designated as the apostle of our faith. Consider him the faithful messenger of God. We have learned uniquely of his apostleship, though, haven't we, from chapter 2? He is not, as I just described from you, for you. 
one man among many sent to minister to other men. He is the apostle of our confession. It is him we confess, the messenger of God. But he wasn't even just sent from among men, though he became man and dwelt among us to bring us the saving message of God. But he wasn't just among us. He was sent to us by him who appointed him to come. That puts him at the center of our confession. It is Jesus who is the apostle of our confession. That is, he was sent from heaven to the earth. That is the direction of his faithfulness. First, his apostleship. He came from God to men and spoke to us the definite and saving plan of God. So he is at the center of our confession. We confess it perhaps this way and that Jesus has declared the definite saving and renewing plan of God. We confess it this way. In Jesus, we have heard the definite saving and renewing plan of God. It was spoken of in my introduction this way from the poem or the prayer that I just read for you. O God, attend to me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel right now. You, believer, wherever you're at your timeline with your walk with the Lord, consider Jesus the apostle of your confession and keep considering him. I need the same counsel I need the same defense. I need right now the same comfort I found at the beginning. Then consider Jesus. Do you remember that when you first were set ablaze by God's grace? When you were saved? When your eyes went from this to this? And your heart finally felt warmth. Regeneration was taking place. Death was swallowed up in victory. And you woke from your grave and Christ shined upon you. Do you remember that event? Maybe it's a slow event. And you rejoice. And during that, you see that the evidence of death being swallowed up in life, you were set ablaze. You started growing. Your trajectory was different. Your relationships took shape. Your heart was enlarging. And then over time, ordeal, trial, difficulty, situation, circumstance, doubt, fear, providence takes place, doesn't it? And you can kind of, the senses can begin to dawn. What do we do? Then we go into some difficulty or ordeal, and then we don't know where to look. Up, down, left, right. We don't know what's true and what's not true. We're just simply confused. Then we lose heart. Then we're discouraged. 
then we're set back, then we withdraw. What do we do? We consider Jesus. The apostle of our confession. What he taught us. What he spoke to us by way of counsel, by the power of the Spirit, through the proclamation of his gospel. We turn to him again and again and again. For I need, at this point, the same counsel, the same defense, the same encouragement that I found in the beginning. I need Jesus as the apostle of my confession. He who came taught the gospel to me. But in there is a word of application also, isn't there? If I'm to have the same counsel, if I'm to have the same defense and same comfort that is offered me in the word of God, I must do what? Return to the word of God. That's where counsel is found. That's where comfort is had. By the word of God. Back to what he has said. He who is the apostle of God's message to us. Where is his wisdom? Where is his counsel? Where is his comfort? In his word. Calvin makes this comment. How can we possibly believe the promises concerning heaven, immortality, and glory when we do not believe the promises concerning our present life? How can we do it? We think of later, think of eternity, think big picture. If we can't grasp what's taking place in our present life, how can we have that? He goes on, and how can we be trusted when we say we believe these big promises but make no effort to experience them ourselves? It is just here that men deceive themselves. It is not that they do not want the gospel privileges of joy and peace, comfort, deliverance, and assurance, but they are not prepared to repent of their evil attitudes and careless lifestyles. Some have even attempted to reconcile these things together and as a result ruined themselves and others. But without the diligent exercise of the grace of obedience, we shall never enjoy the graces of joy, peace, and assurance. Considering Jesus, as we looked last week, as Calvin makes comment here, is not an abstract idea. He is thoughtfully considered through word and prayer. Sure, we want that fire, we want to fan the flame. But it is by the word and prayer that the flame is fanned. Consider Jesus through his word. Thereby be strengthened in the joys and the privileges of the gospel. When we withdraw from the text, joy shrinks, assurance becomes vague. So it is that his one direction, according to the text, is that he is 
a faithful messenger as he who came from heaven to earth. Secondly, look at the text if you would. He is a faithful messenger, his second direction, from earth unto heaven. That's the comment of his directional ministry. His faithfulness as the apostle sent from heaven to earth and now from earth to heaven. That is the designation of Jesus who is our high priest. He is the high priest of our confession. That is Jesus is the faithful high priest who is now ascended from earth to heaven. This is the opposite direction, right? Who then brought God's message to us and then takes our message to God. That is, he testifies before the throne of grace that we have received the saving gospel that he has announced. He became flesh and dwelt among us, proclaimed the truth and the saving, redemptive plan of God to us, and then he returns through ascension as our high priest, pleading on our behalf, these are the children, these are the brothers. They have responded by faith to that which I have proclaimed, they are my people. This is the directional ministry of Jesus every single day. Consider him the apostle. I learned of God through Christ. And the high priest, he speaks to God for my behalf. The high priest of my confession. That is that Jesus, we confess, now appears before the throne of grace, declaring to the Father, these are my children. So we would say he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. What are we confessing? That in Jesus we have a high priest who ever lives and pleads for me. And so in the prayer of his faithfulness, the Puritan prayer, as I read for you by way of introduction, says this about the application of Jesus being your high priest. Please, brothers, sisters, don't think of these things as abstract. Consider him. How? Concretely through his word and prayer. He is my high priest who went to heaven on my behalf and ascended and leaves a life that pleads for me. What does that mean for me right now? It means this, as I have read for you already. Listen to this application of his high priestly work. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on the earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. That's not abstract. But as Calvin says, it's by the grace of obedience. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his grace. I have asked this morning, I don't usually do this if you've attended more than one service of Redeemer, you know that, I uh, ask that we would stand and sing in the middle of a sermon. But I have asked the worship team if we could do that this week, that we would together, as this text says in verse 1, it is not just an abstract idea, it is our confession that he is the apostle and high priest of our faith. And so I have asked that they would come and that they would lead us in singing this very truth together as the people of God, that we would confess by song.
that he is the apostle and high priest of our faith. I'm not going to attempt to lead you, so he'll take over. You stand with us. I'm throwing the classroom for a loop this morning. I'm sure they're about to release the children. Very ecstatic. That was it. Never heard me go so quickly. As we come back to the text just for a few moments as we look to Jesus and consider him the apostle who declared the gospel to us and is himself the gospel and high priest who then in our response takes and pleads our case before the throne of grace as he who is at the center of our confession. Verse 2 continues as we join together in the text just for a couple of more moments together. Verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him. So he gathered the children and he went back to plead their cause. And he speaks of it in coordination with the old covenant because again you remember this community here is struggling with considering going back under the old covenant. So he speaks of this tremendous work of apostleship and high priestly work of Jesus who is faithful. And he compares it to Moses, which makes sense in light of a question upon the community. Look at the text as he says, who is faithful to him who appointed him just as. So by comparison now, he's going to highlight yet again the faithfulness of Jesus. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. And then look at the comparison continues in verse 5. He repeats the same thing. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. So you would think maybe at this point as he's calling us to consider Jesus, who is the apostle and the high priest, now he speaks of the faithfulness of Moses. And the question perhaps would arise, then why not stick with Moses? Great. We came, we heard exactly what we were hoping to hear in this sermon from the original preacher. Great, so Moses was, we all agree then, he's very faithful. And he's a good servant. That makes sense to us, thank you for that. Then why not stick with him if he too was faithful as an apostle and a high priest for the people of Israel? He who brought the message of God directly to the people and declared his saving will. And who also interceded on behalf of Israel. He was faithful. Exactly. We're going to go back. If we're just exchanging faithfulness one for the other. But the answer to why you must not go back is found in verse 3. Because Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. I don't know how many of you have seen the, uh, maybe you're up at some odd time having your coffee in the morning or you just can't sleep and you're up in the middle of the night and they're running reruns of the houses of the rich and famous. And it's that same individual always talking on there. And you're somewhere in Beverly Hills 
looking at these outrageous homes, right? And, and you're finding out they're, they're like palaces, all kinds of things. And you sit there, you're bored, but you're watching. Nonetheless, is you could join with me in that thought of those houses as you take in their beauty. Right? When you look at the house, you're actually appreciating the imagination of the architect. You're appreciating the imagination of the builder. And, and, and this is what he's saying. Yet the house, that is the people of God, there is a glory to that. There's a glory to Moses as he functioned within the house. Just like as you look at, the, at a beautiful building, it is actually the beauty that you're appreciating is the imagination of the builder and the architect. That is, someone took the piles of lumber that were dumped in the yard. They took the brick. They took the block. And they created a place of beauty, a place of rest, a place of recreation to be appreciated. But they're servants in the house. And so it is that Moses is indeed, he, he, he is, if we could say, he is that, that big bay window out front that you notice from the street. Or maybe here in Pittsburgh, he is the, the, the central piece of stained glass window that you appreciate in one of these old houses that has character. <laughs> I'm allowed to throw character under the bus. I own one of those jalopies. <laughs> Full of character. So it is we appreciate that about the house. It's beautiful. It's, it's got this centerpiece quality. It draws the room together. But that's just it about Moses. Nobody's throwing Moses under the bus. Everybody's recognizing he's the stained glass window that we all appreciate in the house. He was faithful. But his faithfulness in the house is just that, isn't it? He belongs to the house. Nobody's saying we don't like it. No one's saying it wasn't true, genuine, and significant for the people of God, his ministry. We're just recognizing that he's one of us. He's part and parcel of the house he serves in. But it's not that way with Jesus. He's, Moses is one of us. But look at the text as we consider verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house. So he's not within it, but he is over it. And he is a son in contrast to Moses, who is a servant. Then he gives it away there at the end of verse 6. Who's the house? What is this metaphor? What is this analogy? We are his house. So it is as we look to the glory of Christ, that he has identified with the house, hasn't he? For those of you who are with us through chapter 2, that's what he's building on. He identified with the house. But he is distinct from the house. He is the incarnate word of God. 
he became like the house. He, he saw the brothers, the congregation. He saw the house of God. And he humbled himself, being made like them, after their own likeness, to identify with them. And you remember in chapter 2, that means that he came to be like the children, that he might save them and empathize with them. But he did not become them. He remained the Son of God in common. So that he then ascended as Lord, reigns over the house. Not as one of us, as a simple servant who gave us a good word, but as the Son of God in power, who indeed declared a good word, was himself that word, and now pleads that very same word for us. So we ought to consider Jesus worthy of more glory, worthy of more affection, worthy of more pursuit, worthy of more sacrifice than anything or anyone else. This is where he's encouraging the congregation and struggling with counting the cost. Consider Jesus. That is, Jesus as the Son as the apostle, as the high priest of our faith, is faithful to deliver, to help, and to provide for all who are in his house. As a believer this morning, I would exhort you, by way of this text, to consider Jesus. Not an abstract idea. If we leave here as an idea, we have failed. If we see it in concrete, measurable steps, a way of grace of obedience, we have succeeded. How might you consider Jesus as a member of his house? Word and prayer. Those are pretty easy categories. As Calvin says, we cannot neglect them and then experience, think we're to experience the privileges that we would have if we attended to them. Where's my comfort? Where's my assurance? Where's my guidance? Where's my wisdom? Where is the word? Well, it's over there somewhere underneath the shelf. Let us be a people guided by his word and prayer. as also one who would be among us this morning as one who says I'm in a state of unbelief doubt concern insecurity but I exhort you from the very same text consider Jesus who offers his mercy
repent. Turn from what you're presently finding greater joy in. And turn to Him. Being received by Him. Having the assurance, the courage, the wisdom, the devotion. Let us consider Jesus. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us as your people as we look at the ministry, indeed, not of antagonism between Moses and Jesus, but both of faithfulness. Only that Jesus in our heart would have more glory, more significance than anything and anyone else as we consider him through his word he has declared to us continues to strengthen us by. Give us grace for obedience. Strengthen us in lives that we would love you, glory in you, praise your name. As you stand for us, might we honor you and please you on the earth. In Christ Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen.